Hey friends, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, here with a bit of an emergency episode with my good mate, Patty O'Leary, the Irishman living in San Francisco, who this past weekend won the legendary Dipsy Race, the oldest trail race in the world, which this year celebrated its 112th running, if you can believe it. The Dipsy is not only the oldest trail race, it is also one of the most interesting events in the world in terms of its format and its history, which we talk about at length in this conversation. We recorded this in person at my house a couple of nights ago. Patty brought along a friend and fellow Irishman, Zach Hanna, fresh off his competition at the Mountain and Trail Running World Championships and just ahead of his competition at the Broken Arrow Sky Race. Zach is a young phenom in the sport, so we brought him on at the end to talk about world champs, Irish pride, and to look ahead towards Broken Arrow. It's a super fun kind of two-parter of an episode here. Speaking of Broken Arrow, make sure you tune into the race all weekend. One of the great races in North America and really in the world, in my opinion. I have the honor and the privilege of hosting the live stream broadcast for the Vertical K and the 23K this Friday and Sunday, respectively. Of course, I'll be doing that alongside my friend and colleague, Corinne Malcolm. And Corinne and I will also be hosting elite athlete panels uh, on Friday and Saturday afternoons, which will also be live streamed. So make sure you tune in. I put a link to the Broken Arrow YouTube channel in the show notes. So go click through and subscribe and hang out with us digitally all weekend long. Or if you're going to be there, come see us in person. Um, Also, we announced our huge fantasy prize packages for Broken Arrow and Western States. So make sure you go participate for your chance at more than $5,000 in prizes from some awesome trail brands. We will be rewarding the winners from the Broken Arrow VK, 46K, and 23K. And we will also have a larger sort of grand prize for the best predictor across those three races in aggregate. So you will be rewarded for playing all three distances. Of course, we're also going to be playing fantasy for Western states. I was just toggling with my ballot, and I'm so excited to see how these amazing events play out. Visit fantasy.freetrail.com. Get your picks in for your chance to win some incredible prize packages. One of those prizes, of course, will be a pair of Speedland shoes, the presenting sponsor of the Free Trail Podcast. Go pick up a pair of the GSPGH, the new commission from the best footwear brand out there, inspired by Cameron Haynes and his local mountain, Mount Pisgah, outside Eugene, Oregon. If you follow Cam, you know that he often carries a boulder up and down that mountain just to make it a bit harder. We are super excited to have Cam as part of the Speedland family and athlete team, and we are super proud to offer his signature product to the trail running world. Pre-order is open now and delivery is expected this fall. Visit runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 to take advantage of that discount. Okay, please welcome Patty O'Leary, the 2023 Dipsy Champion. See you in the outro. Cheers, lads. Patty O'Leary, welcome to my dining room table, my ad hoc podcast studio, the Dipsy Champion, bro. How are you? So fun to be here across the Golden Gate Bridge, Evo's house. Yes. Uh, yeah, enjoying a beer. God, we got a guest visitor for later as well. Yeah, this is a bit of an emergency podcast. 
Patty won the legendary Dipsy race, the 112th running of the oldest trail race in the world, one of the most iconic events in the world, and an event that still has some mystery behind it and that I'm sure our listeners will enjoy learning about. Tell us about your friend, Zach, who's sitting at the table with us too, real quick. Yeah, so we got Broken Arrow coming up next weekend, which a lot of listeners will be, might even be racing it. Zach is over here uh, from Northern Ireland and he's taking on the VK in the 26K. Zach was fifth at the World VK last year in Thailand, so he'll be, uh, he'll be expected to do well. But now this is my first time I get to race against Zach yeah. and I can't wait to try to hold on to him for as long as I can. I'd say I'll last about a quarter mile and then I'll be gone. Yeah, well, like I was just saying before we press record, you'll be riding high from the recent victory at the Dipsy. And I think even if Zach pulls away, you will yeah. be plenty satisfied with your achievement yeah, this yeah, season yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. your career. I mean, I was yeah, yeah. also thinking this is sort of like a walk off into the sunset type of victory for you. But anyway, Zach, thanks for being here. We'll get to you in a little while and uh, hear all about your career and look ahead towards Broken Arrow. But Patty, the man of the hour, the Dipsy champion, let's first start. This is your first time on the show. I've been asking a fun introspe- introspective question with a lot of our guests and that is just what makes you, you? What makes Patty O'Leary the person that he is? I think since a very young age, I've had a constant want and need to bring people together, often through sport and things like that. Something that was kind of instilled in me by my parents. They were very involved in the community organizing and sport. And then since like my lacrosse days, my friend, my teammates at home hated me for it because I just wanted to organize, organize, organize and ended up like setting up like the first Irish lacrosse league, things like that. And then I kind of translated that into sp- into running through November Project and now through like trail running. Yeah. Uh, so I love bringing people together, whether yeah. they like it or not. So do you think that comes from your folks? Because I was going to say the exact same thing. You know, if I had to describe what makes you, you, is that you're a uniter, you're a community mm-hmm. builder. Yeah. How have you learned how to do that so effectively? Because I think that's one of the things that like everybody really admires about you is like we all feel so like comfortable around you and you always have this infectious optimism and positivity and you just always feel like you're with a friend and that in all likelihood if you're going to see patty you're probably going to see a lot of other friends it's kind of i guess there's two parts of it there's one the fact i'm from ireland and the irish people are infectiously kind of positive but just having good times like it's something you have if you ever go to ireland like like Zach will probably admit it as well. Like when you're walking down the street, you get talking to someone, you sit beside them in a cafe in a bar, you can be best friends with that person in about 30 seconds, um, which is it's something I think quite unique to Ireland, which I love. But then also, yeah, my parents were heavily involved in like organizing different sporting events. My dad in running and my mother in all different types of activities, both academic and sporting. Um, from a very young age, they were like, I'm the youngest of five kids. So they were driving us all over to get involved in these events, but they, they were organizing these events and training kids from all these different families in our local parish back in Southeast Ireland. So it was something I saw from a very early age and I just kind of wanted to follow, like follow in their footsteps. Yeah. It Has it been helpful as you've lived so far away from home as an expat, as an Irishman living here in California in the whole community, community building it helped me find my place yeah. in San Francisco. I was here about a month and I found the November Project Workout Group, which if many may have heard of it or may not, it's like this workout group. That I don't know if Brogan has been on your podcast before. He hasn't. I'd love to have him though. He should yeah. be at some stage. That would be a hoot. 
Uh, it was this fitness group that started back in 2011 in uh, Boston where these two lads, Brogan and Boyne, were like just, they were just wanting to find a way to keep themselves moving in the outdoors and working out in the outdoors throughout the winter. So they started running these Harvard steps every day. And then, um, but they just blasted out on Twitter one day saying, hey, we want more people to join us. And then over the coming weeks, it went from two people to 10 to 20 to 100. And then they started spreading these free workout groups to cities all across the country. And when I moved to San Francisco, I found about but number Forever Project San Francisco, run by the infamous Laura Green. <laughs> and uh, I joined that. And that was my community in San Francisco. I kind of explored our city, explored the trails of our city through that running group. I found my way into San Francisco running company through that running group. Yeah. I found my way to the North Face running team right. through that workout group. Yeah. Um, so that kind of community created a lot for me. I started leading that community and tried to kind of use it to create a lot for everyone else around me. What a great example that is of being a good person and being a positive member of a community, then creating opportunities yeah. for yourself. Yeah. So how long was it until you sort of took the leadership role with November Project? Six months, maybe. I started in October 2013. And then the following summer, uh, Laura's now husband, Connor, got a work secondment to Dublin. So she was moving to Ireland for the summer with him. Yeah. So I figured might as well put the Irish lad in charge instead. <laughs> uh, so we, we traded a few trades. Switch, switch spots. Switch spots. So uh, I took over for that summer and, uh, and led that. And then when I came back, continued to lead it with her. Yeah. And then did that for like four years. Um, that was, yeah, that was a formative time in my life. Just kind of learned all about myself and my own leadership potential. Yeah. And just bringing people together and yeah. And learned about trail running through that. Yeah. And, and now look at you. The city. Yeah. <laughs> Before we move off of this, I'm just reminding myself that I was talking to Levi about you. This is probably a couple of months ago and I'm referencing Levi Miller for our listeners. Who's probably the most talented runner in Marin that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> Four minute miler. He yeah. ran at Georgetown university. He's a dear friend of both Patty and I's, but we were talking about you a couple months ago and this subject came up and I think Levi sort of said something to the effect of, you know, Patty still basically runs with people like four or five days a week. And I think for most of us who are trail runners, you know, you love getting out for the group runs and whatever, but it's like a once or a twice a week type of thing. Is that an accurate characterization where you're getting out? It's with changing yeah. over time. I think I'm starting to enjoy and appreciate the solo runs more, yeah. or maybe I'm, I've always tried to have quite a balanced life between a full-time job, between November project, between running, between relationships, between yeah. trying to juggle all these different things. Um, I think that switches throughout time as I focus on work more, focus on things more. So the group runs, yeah, actually, I guess I'm still doing like three group runs a week, I would say, or maybe two, maybe less. November project days, I was peaking. I was doing like five or six group runs a week because I was leading three, right. three of those days I was leading it. Over time, I've started to only be able to fit in like a solo run because I might only have an hour in the morning to go run. Yeah. It's actually something that's got more challenging over time. And I don't have a kid or family or family right. yet. So I have no idea. I look at you guys who have kids and yeah. you're trying to fit all that into a training schedule along with a full-time job, setting up your own business. Yeah. I'm in awe of what you guys are doing. It does get a lot harder. And I'm daunted about that possibility. <laughs> yeah, we did an event at SFRC on Thursday and I still haven't been to a group run at SFRC. Yeah, We've yeah. been back living here for yeah. six months and I still haven't been able to make it, but eventually maybe bringing this subject full circle, you know, just sort of like thinking about the qualities of getting out with people. Mm -hmm. In what ways is that sort of like shaped you as an athlete or helped you to improve as an athlete? 
just like sort of leaning on community and training partners and first off to help me improve as a person I think I just get to learn about like the diversity of the array of people you have in this sport and people from all these different backgrounds I really appreciate that and people's different journeys into our sport that kind of that gives me a spark I love uh, I love experiencing that and learning about the people who love our sport and then we've been fortunate in the Barry. We've got a lot of very talented runners. And like in the earlier days when I joined SFRC back in 2014, I was chasing those runners. I was going rocking up my lacrosse shorts and <laughs> with a pair of shoes I got randomly and ASIC shoes I got in the shop in Ireland when I, before I left. And I got to improve quite quickly because I was training and chasing all of these pro athletes who were like four of the group were top 10 in Western States in yeah. 2014, 2015, whichever those years. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they're just the lads. Like I didn't really recognize elite athletes in running at the sport when I joined the sport first because yeah. I'm like oh that's just the group it's just the group run and so I think that helped me get to a pretty f- good level pretty quickly because like I didn't have all of these athletes up in the stars or the Killian who all of that I was just like oh that's just that's just lads who go running yeah <laughs> couple lax bros showing up in uh, in Marin County just <laughs> trying to carve careers for yeah. ourselves it's so true, just like how it makes you a better person first, though, and then a better athlete. I love how you said that. So we were together, I guess it was about, what was it about a month, month and a half ago? Two months ago. Two, two months, months ago in Japan, both taking part in Ultra Trail Mount Fuji, you doing the 100 miler, me doing the 70K. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we've, we can talk about the race a little bit, but maybe let's start with the big highlight mm-hmm. from that trip. Mm-hmm. which was your engagement. Please mm-hmm. fill the audience in, fill me in. Cause yeah. we haven't fully, I haven't fully heard this story and I'd love to hear. Yeah. So if you hey, did bring the mic, like as close to your face. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So a few days after the, uh, after Ultra Trail Mount Fuji, myself and my then girlfriend, Eleanor Schultz, we were, uh, adventuring. We went down to see Kyoto, we went to Osaka and she'd booked us in to go stay at this monastic mountaintop and Koyasan was the, the home, the kind of a spiritual home of esoteric Buddhism. And you could, there was this famous hike, it's like the Camino and Santiago of uh, Japan. It's like this six day hike. We ended up doing the final day of that, hiking 20 miles up to this mountaintop and then stayed in a monastery up there. And yeah, we stayed in a stunning monastery. At the night we wandered through this graveyard or mausoleum that had like 800 year old cedar trees down to this beautiful temple this with lanterns beautiful little lanterns and whatnot and um no engagement happened there even though there was there was, a, there was quite maybe an opportune moment <laughs> and then then i'll get to well, explain that now in a second the next day we like that night we went and went to um we went and did a like a uh, a chanting session and we went and did a, like my legs are kind of messed up because i'd <laughs> ran a lot the previous day we had to do a meditation session and we turned up so we'd done our hike up and we finished at like 4.59 p.m. at the hotel or at the monastery. Then we had to hop in at five to do this uh, um, meditation. I can't sit in that pose <laughs> in the best of times. But now after like running a lot of miles the previous week, I was kind of messed up. Anyway, I'm, I'm sidetracking. The next day we were hiking down off this mountaintop and we decided to uh, tag this little peak. And as we were tagging that peak, we just walked down a single track at the far side and uh, Eleanor stopped me. She was like, Oh, I have a present for you. And uh, then she uh, says, hey, pops out a, a ring and she proposes to me, <laughs> which I was like, I was gobsmacked. I wasn't expecting it. 
for like I, I had always wanted like marriage is something I always wanted to do and um, she was still deciding and then when she decided she was ready as opposed to telling me it's time for you to ask me she was like I'm going to own it and take it and yeah she proposed to me and I said yes I said hi I said all of the languages I was <laughs> giving an affirmative yes and then uh, yeah we're getting married what a great which I'm so excited about what an amazing story yeah meditate a little bit on the non-traditional nature of it and yeah. a, about the feeling of surprise because yeah. it feels right for you too Big for time. Eleanor Big to time. be the one to pop the question yeah. to you even on this this mountaintop we she didn't realize it beforehand we're hiking over the mountaintop about 30 seconds before she asked me there was a the mountain was called Mount Benton Dake I might have mispronounced that but it's the goddess who rules that mountain. That's her mountain, rules that area. That's her, or who looks after and is the, the caretaker of that area. Um, that's her mountain. And she's the goddess of things that flow. Um, so then, like, Eleanor realized that. And she's like, okay, this is a particularly apt location. Yes. Of, like, of, of, yeah, of, like, the non-traditional woman taking that and, like, asking the question and fuck the patriarchy and the proper way to do it. It's great. Like Eleanor is such an independent, like fascinating human. It's, it's, it fits her to do that as well. And uh, I love it. I love it. I definitely subtly dropped many, not subtly, I not so subtly dropped many hints over the last three years that I would definitely be happy to be proposed to. Really? More, mostly joking, but also serious. Because <laughs> uh, so, I never expected, I never expected her, her to. And when she did, it just blew my mind. And yeah, I love it. It's the perfect way to happen. I mean, Zach's sitting here with us, but you're glowing too, man. And I can obviously empathize having been in that position myself, but being the one that popped the question, it really does lighten a load or it just brings you a sense of, I don't know, like spiritual um, joy, you know? And I think honestly, it helps with performance too maybe getting ahead of ourselves here too i mean have you felt like a physical weight lift or just like a big time a sense of big time freedom or yeah yeah just so much oh you're just thinking like you dream and you think about you're you're spending your life with an individual just having that like a sense of not acceptance isn't the word the sense of like of just something like committing to you're just excited about the future excited about the future it's it's super cool um Wait till you get married, Just, dude. I know. Like That's we're, we're in the process of planning the wedding now and planning the party with that and then just thinking about the future and uh, she's about we we both have many, many exciting things going on in our life now at the moment. I just yeah. recently got my green card, so I have stability here in the US, which is huge. I can change jobs, which is something I haven't been able to do. Um, that takes the pressure off Eleanor too, right? Yeah, like? big time. So hey, just to be clear, <laughs> she proposed to me two weeks after I got my green card. So this is not a green card wedding. This is it, and not not knocking anyone who gets sure, who gets yeah. married for a green Nothing card. I was that. I was open to doing it, and uh, this but this was a I had the green card before the proposal, so it wasn't strictly a green card wedding. I want to hear about that too, but maybe first say a few words about Eleanor. What makes her unique and special, and maybe tie in Broken yeah. Arrow and yeah. what she's doing for that. So Eleanor, since she's growing up like with her parents, she was a lover of the mountains from the early age. Her parents had her on cross country skis and like scrambling on rocks and. Uh, since she was since she was so since she was like a year, um, and she just spent her spent her summers just adventuring around the Sierra Nevada. So she's an outdoor person, um, but she's an extremely talented fine artist. So she does pyrography, which is wood burning. She does these beautiful patterns on 
like plywood or also natural pieces of wood, but they're always about around the environment and around different mountain experiences and nature experiences. And she's also got into woodblock printing. And recently she's gone to do mural design. She did a mural for a, a coffee shop up in Napa a few weeks ago that was just stunning, all based around nature and based around mainly trees. She does some beautiful tree pieces. Check her out at Insta Eleanor on Instagram. Yeah, I'll put that link in the yeah. show notes. Yeah. Um, but then recently, Brendan reached out to us last year. We talked to Brendan a little bit at Broken Arrow and he saw her stuff and was amazed by it. He reached out to her a few weeks after Broken Arrow 2022 saying, we'd love you to design the t-shirts, the buffs, and the, the symbols for the race, and then also design the trophies. So she spent the last like six weeks making the trophies for the men's and women's VK, 23K, 46K. And they're super cool. Um, they're also often trophies you end up seeing them they're not particularly they're like people might put them up and they'll just gather dust or they'll put them in a box somewhere mm -hmm. she really wanted to make a trophy that's functional that's useful that people will be a centerpiece of some people's homes so she made you'll, you'll see the photos uh, online but she made table lamps that are based all around the the lupine plants that grow up in, um, and they grow in the high sierra so they're just stunning and uh, super cool but so I love cool. I love the circularity that the sustainability of using something that's functional and useful. Totally. Which we need more of that. Yeah. I um, mean, how many race medals or yeah, yeah. beer glasses or yeah, t-shirts yeah, do you, yeah. like, have you aggregated yeah. that you'll absolutely never wear or never yeah. use? But it, it's been so fun to see her bring her art into, into trail, into trail running. Yeah. It's so, I'm, I'm so stoked by it. So, so awesome. Yeah. So back to the green card thing. Maybe give us a sense of what that process has looked like for you over the last several years. Because you've lived in the Bay Area for how long now? Ten years now. Yeah. 10th San, San Fran anniversary is uh, next October. Don't uh, ever leave, man. Don't I ever know. leave. Uh, I made that mistake for both of us. <laughs> I moved over here in 2013 for a postdoc, uh, working at UCSF in cancer biology. But for the first five years, I was on a J-1 visa, which is student and scholar visa. When you're, on, when you're on a visa in the U.S., you can't change jobs. You can't. Sometimes during the pandemic, I wasn't allowed to leave the country because, um, because I was from Europe and that was one of the initial COVID countries. And you have a lot of restrictions. Um, the can't change job is a big thing because you don't really have negotiation to move to different employers. You're kind of trapped in a way. Yeah. I also enjoyed where I work, so I was looking in that regard. Um, after five years, I switched roles at UCSF to be more of a senior, more of a scientist, senior scientist staff role away from, I didn't want to be a professor. I'll get to a funny story about that in a second. <laughs> I uh, saw later. your drama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so I wanted to be just a uh, like a staff scientist. So switched that and had to switch visas to a H1B, which a lot of, you'll hear a lot of people who work, come here to work in different sorts of tech sectors or academic yeah. sectors would use that. But it's the same. And also there's an end to it. So like after three years, I could renew it. And after six years, it's done. And then you have to leave the country. Yeah. Um, also in that, you can't change jobs. Um, so for years, I could have applied for the green card years ago, but imposter syndrome is, play, is rife across academia, rife across all of, our, all of us. Yeah. Like I felt I didn't have a good enough academic record to apply for a green card, which would be like the green card I applied for was one of the national interest waiver. So I had to write an argument, it ended up being 900 pages, it weighed 13 pounds, the thing I submitted, um, saying about how great I am and about <laughs> how the US needs to keep me. You know, it would be a huge Only 900 pages about how great you pages. are? <laughs> it was absurd. Every citation that ever cited my publications, I had to put that in. It was, it was crazy. 
But um, the one thing that really frustrated me, also that process cost me $10,000. Wow. Um, so it was, it was an expensive process. Ended up only, I started up last year. I was like, okay, no, I need to just do it. Um, so I applied and actually I got it done and I got it within 12 months, which was, seems really long, but actually on the scale of people who apply for it, that's one of the shorter ones. I have colleagues from China and India. It'll take five to 10 years for them to get it. Wow. Where they're trapped in a job or trapped in, um, not able to leave the country, things like that, away from their family. The, the immigration system is really fucked here. Yeah. Um, it needs a lot of improvement because so many of like critical people in this country, from researchers to farmers, right. to farm workers, are just trapped because of visas and... Yeah, it's how, how would you like to see a change? I'm more just curious for myself because I think, Firstly, I think you know, for most of the people who listen to this, right? Like yeah. it's mostly an American audience and American born people yeah. who probably have no understanding or yeah. appreciation of this process. Like how should it be changed for people like you who, like when you told me you got your green card when we were in Tokyo, I was like, thank God, like yeah. Patty gets to stay. Yeah. Like we need people like yeah. you. Firstly, it needs to, this, the process would need to be simplified. Like I had to do, I had to create this, like pay a huge amount of money and create this huge yeah. math. Like they make it so- So like if you they can't so afford $10,000, are you screwed? You could write your own one, but it could be a really wee, I, most of that was for lawyer fees. Yeah, okay. You could write your own one, but if you make a minor mistake, it doesn't get through. There's so many hoops you have to jump through. There's so many potential mistakes you make. I feel they just make the process more challenging to get, so less people will apply for it. Yeah. But- it then goes and sits on a desk of, I think I can say all of this now because I don't think there's a chance of me getting kicked out. We can edit it out. No, I think we, no, we should keep it in. Let's keep it in. Um, yeah, you just need me here. Uh, it, where, was I, where was I going with that? Um, yeah, you were saying it goes to sit on somebody's desk. Sit on someone's yeah. desk that doesn't have a clue about it. Like my application was strictly about very narrow areas of science. Yeah. They don't have a clue. They're just looking for certain things. They're looking like, okay, how many references are there? Yeah. How many referee letters? Do they have certain words, certain sentences? Yeah, they don't um, understand what yeah, cancer sits, researcher yeah, means. Yeah. So things need to change. The process needs to be simplified. And also the national, like people around this country need to recognize the importance of immigrants. Yeah. Um, especially in... Uh, my situation is is easier than like people coming in to do farm work. Yeah. They just end up working terrible hours with little protections um, and they put food on your table. Yeah. Um, it's something that is really overlooked by a sizable proportion of this country. Yeah. And I think these change. I grew up on a farm, so I know that. That's yeah. why I'm kind of circling around to that. I know the hardship involved in it and like the importance of that work. My brother is still farming at home. Yeah. And but, like, you drive up and down like to Monterey here and you see how hard people are working in the farms in the Central Valley putting food on the table of yeah. people all across this country and they need to be elevated. Maybe sticking on that for a second, reflecting on your childhood growing up on a farm, that is a different upbringing that probably instills mm -hmm. values, mm -hmm. hard work, family mm -hmm. orientation. Hard how has that, how has that influenced you? Hard, I learned about hard work. A spin to that, I'm the youngest of five. Right. If my brothers heard this, they would say I was like the laziest <laughs> young lad. They would say, yeah, you didn't do a thing. Are they my, still working on the farm? My eldest brother owns the farm now. Okay. Um, my the next two sisters are teachers at home. And my brother is in Oslo. He's in, he's in Norway. He's an engineer there. But like they'll always claim I worked the least because I probably did work the least, but I still worked a lot on the farm. Yeah. I learned a lot about hard work. Um, I think working in the outdoors, exposed to nature, working with animals, I think that was something that I learned a huge amount from. 
also been outside the whole time. It was great. Like I didn't grow up with it. I, we, I, I got a PlayStation, I think, when everyone else was getting a PlayStation 2. Or we had a Sega Mega Drive when everyone else got a PlayStation, kind of that thing. So yeah. we didn't get broadband till I was doing my PhD in Dublin. Like I was like 23 when our home got broadband. We were really? dialed up till then. So like we didn't have all of those distractions. We just went outside and enjoyed ourselves, which is great. I think Zach will probably have a similar setup to that. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, they were they were the two big things. So maybe before we move on, in the spirit of you being a uniter and a positive force in the world, what's good about America, right? Because it's so easy to just be down on the world right now. And I think you have a unique ability to articulate things to be hopeful about. And like, why did you want a green card? And, and what is positive about America that's stuck with you? Or like, what is the United States sort of brought into your life that's positive? I think two things. One thing, like when I moved to San Francisco, I fell in love with it immediately. It's like such a melting pot of people of all different languages. I lived in Chinatown for eight years and like I'd walk out in the street and like 90% of people are speaking Cantonese. Um, like it's wild. Like walk, I, walk, we, I was with you in Hong Kong yeah. and I was walking around downtown Hong Kong and I was like, this is literally just like outside my <laughs> it's house. It's my neighborhood. <laughs> I just don't understand a word anyone is saying. And I love that. I love the melting pot of especially San Francisco but also the US. Yeah. Um, I think it just, there's so much culture coming in here from all over the world um and then also the appreciation for the outdoors here um the appreciation of the outdoors and just the the, the variety of outdoor of like ireland was kind of at the time i think i didn't appreciate the geographical variety we had in ireland it was when i moved to san francisco and started exploring the outdoors did i realize um what we have here but also kind of realized what i have at home as well mm-hmm. i think America helped me learn to appreciate the outdoors and how to enjoy it in the outdoors, mm. which is something I didn't really have as much before. I think I always acknowledged it, but I didn't know how to truly enjoy, embrace, respect, elevate it. And I think America helped me do that. Awesome. Um, especially Northern California, I think helped me do that. Best place in the world. Yeah. Don't ever move yeah. away. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and the new salted margarita flavor of Gnarly Hydrate made with extra sodium, 500 milligrams per serving to be exact. As we head into the summer months, hotter weather means more loss of fluid, means greater need to supplement electrolytes. You guys know I am an electrolyte evangelist. Sodium, magnesium, chloride, and potassium are critical for proper hydration level, nerve function, muscle function, and body pH, all important stuff for performing at our best out on the trails. Guys, this product might be my favorite gnarly product of all time. You must give it a try. Delicious margarita flavor, some savory saltiness to it, and all the electrolytes and B vitamins you need, especially for us salty sweaters. As they say, it tastes like the real thing, but it won't make you dance on the tables and it won't make you wake up with a headache. Gnarly Hydrate Salted Margarita. Find it at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. We haven't really talked about your running at all. Maybe before we get to the good stuff, let's go back to Japan. Mm-hmm. You were again supposed to do UTMF, the 100 miler. Around. I did UTMF 100K. <laughs> Together, Dylan and I 
did the UTMF hundred. I, I don't, I don't think it's, it's super useful for you to just kind of recount that super painful hundred K slog. But I, what I'd like for you to talk about more is just like figuring out what you're motivated by, because I've never gotten the sense that the hundred milers have really like spoken to you. Mm-hmm. And of course we're eventually going to get around to you winning a seven mile <laughs> legendary race. Six here weeks after County. attempting the hundred miler. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, talk about that. Talk about, you know, f- failure at UTMF, but more so because we talked after the race about like where your motivation really is as an athlete. Yeah. Um, I've, ever since I started, I came to the sport late. I came to the sport at 25. I ran a bit across. My dad was big into running. He organized sport running club back home in our, in, in our area of Ireland. Um, I ran a bit across country as a kid, but it was never my main sport. Gaelic football, hurling was when I was growing up, horse riding a little bit as well. And then in college, lacrosse. And then I kind of came full circle back to running, like in kind of when I was moving here to the US, I found a little bit true mountain running at home in Ireland. But when I came to November Poaching, San Francisco Running Company, I was like, oh, this is my sport. Yeah. But I, I kind of, even over the years, I was always doing multiple distances and never really, I started pushing. I did my first 30K my first in 2015, my first 30K, 50K, 50 miler, early 2016, first 100K, and they all went really well. And then I thought, oh, obviously the logical progression that everyone has here is you go to a hundred miler. Then I said, nah. And I stopped in like 2016 and I did like Labrador 120K in 2018, uh, Wicklow Round 2019, 120K. And then it was 2019 when I did UTMB and that was my first 100 miler. And I didn't, no one told me it was 110 miles. I got one pass to go and it was, when my watch took to 100, I was like, oh, this isn't what I asked for <laughs> after not eating food for 15 hours. Anyway, um, I want to race against the best. I want to race in the highest pedestal. Um UTMF was from talking to you over the years was always one I had uh, in the back of my mind. Um, also, I love, I don't, honestly, I don't feel as attracted to going running 100 miles in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Um, I love traveling and one way to see a huge amount of a area is to run 100, 100 miles through it. So like maybe it's a little bit of... It is one of the great travel. things about our sport, you yeah. know, as speaking with the privilege of being people yeah. who've been sponsored professional yeah. athletes for a while yeah. it is such an incredible way to explore yeah. anyway what were you one, saying one thing with with that distance like i feel i have the skill sets to succeed at 100 miles but i think the last four years i've started dealing with the stomach thing and i haven't been able to figure that out yeah and i do want at some stage i do want to nail a 100 miler and yeah. that's why i signed up for a fuji it took me three years to want to train for a 100 miler again and then a year into into fuji um didn't figure it out this time. It might be another four years before I attempt it again. Um, but also right after that, I'm also realizing, wait, but I'm super competitive at the shorter stuff and the medium stuff. So I said, maybe for a few, maybe for next year, Annie, I'm going to do shorter races, less than 10 hours, which every time I say that, I'm like, that's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. Like <laughs> a short race, like most people running a mile would be huge. That was a big thing after Japan. Like I dropped out uh, like 13 hours in, I had the hundred K mark. Um, hadn't eaten food in, t- in like eight hours and 200 calories, I think. And yeah. we sat for two hours trying to get food into me and realized this is, I could spend 24 hours, had 30 hours to do the next 40 miles, but we're like thinking about the future and thinking about the races in the summer. We're like, maybe it'd be better to, to drop out. And that was unfortunately the first DNF, but I kind of have a lot of acceptance since then. I'm like, yeah, that was the right decision. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of very bummed of days after. And then when I went to talk to anyone who I talked to, who isn't involved in running and many people who are involved in running, they're like, Dude, he still ran a hundred kilometers. <laughs> I'm like, like fifteen thousand feet of climbing. That was still huge. I'm like, oh yeah. 
So that's been really good. Like actually talking to people about this who are not involved in running, there's a very good like circular feedback there. They're like, yeah, you're, you're talking nonsense. You did great. Yeah. So didn't win, didn't finish, but I still did a huge achievement, which I'm proud of. Yeah. First DNF, anything you want to say about that? Because I think for a lot of people who are listening, this is a relatable topic of conversation. It took me a while to swallow my first one too. And it was painful in the short term, but I think leading into it, I was like, no, I don't want to do it. Like I accept, I like a fully. Support. Cause you've marched your way through a few of them. I've marched now. myself through yeah. a good few of them. Yeah. <laughs> like I had 16 hours of just Coca-Cola and soup. The last hundred K of, of uh, UTMB back in 2016 uh, or 2019. Um, and then every hundred K since then, anything above 10 hours, I've had that issue for three or four hours. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, after the race, a day or two, I was, I was like, yeah, no, that was fine. That was like, I'd made a decision. Yeah. I'm kind of bummed, but I got but into, now like, I'm engaged, I got into so a, no big deal. I got into a hole for like two days and then we started traveling and lifted out of it. And Eleanor was actually quite concerned. She was like, Oh, when am I going to propose to this guy? If he's in a depressive ep- uh, episode after, after the DNF, but then I cheered up a lot. And then when she asked me that, like pulled me out of that completely. And yeah. I forgot about uh, the race. And then authorized she gave us an opportunity that we need to go back to japan many times now to celebrate the place where we got engaged mm. and of all like i want to go back and just experience those people again like the our hosts from uh from tnf goldwyn were just spectacular yeah like, kohei and natsuki were yeah. they had so much fun with eleanor kurumi throughout the night maybe i'll go back for the 70k next year and i'll finish the 70k i didn't do it's a good hard 70k it's too. funny though yeah. actually so i dropped out at 6 a.m dylan was doing the 70k which started at 11 a.m did cross my mind to start that with you guys <laughs> and not keep up obviously but uh, it did cross my mind to finish it the next morning next morning but it's funny and i just have to go back yeah i when i dropped out went home to step for three hours and then within an hour i was eating udon noodles and i was fine i was like what the hell yeah the why why but yeah i've accepted it i've yeah. moved on i'm ready for the next next battles and now you're a dipsy champion so dipsy champion. let's talk about that so yeah. The Dipsy, man. Greatest race in the world. The greatest race in the world. What a wild, different, savage, nasty, beautiful event it is. Please. Per- it's perfectly chaotic. Please, you know, as somebody who's a multiple time finisher and who I know is steeped in the history and well read on the subject, if you could just give the audience a glimpse into what makes Dipsy unique, like specifically focusing on the format and the history? The format of it, I just love that it's the great equalizer. So they separate, there's a handicap start where they start, I might get the numbers wrong, but at 8 a.m., the 80-year-old above men, 60 above women, uh, eight below girls, six and below boys start. And then every minute for 25 minutes, they let off a new batch of runners with the older runners or the really youngest runners ahead of the runners. The last group they let off is the 20 to 25-year-old men. Women start a little bit ahead of men. They tailor it every year. So like the best of each age group and each gender will finish right around the same time. And it's whoever crosses the line first wins. Um, so the idea race. is for the listener yeah. that basically anybody, anybody goes win. into it and yeah. can win. It's had 10 years ago on the, or 12 years ago on the 100th anniversary. There was a battle between eight-year-old Riley Johnson and 68-year-old Melody Schultz. And they were starting the first wave and they were neck and neck the whole race and it's actually there's a video on youtube that 
Dipsy Centenary, and I'd recommend watching it. It might be in multiple parts on YouTube. Find it, watch it, and it's just amazing. I just, the base is perfectly chaotic, like, because it's like they have 1,500 people. They start the slowest people first, and they let them off in seven miles of poison oak laden, root laden single track. It's idiotic. It's absolutely idiotic. Like, it's, there's going to be chaos, there's going to be people hurt. But people have so much fun. Yeah. Like the first year I did it, I, also the first year you do it, they give you a 25 minute penalty. So you have to kind of earn your way in. You have to finish in the roughly the top 50% to requalify for the invitational section the following year. So like that first year I started in like 1400 place and I passed 902 people to finish 499. <laughs> and like passing 900 people in a 50 minute window is just chaos and it's so much fun you're like on your left on your right you're elbowing you're elbowing you're brushing but everyone's just enjoying you're saying oh thank you thank you thank you it was uh it was it's pretty it's just unbelievable and it's a race that's been going on for 112 years in north america at least the boston marathon is the only race that's older yeah i actually have the wikipedia up here because i figured we may want to get around to just kind of enlightening the audience about the history so what it says here, I'm again, just reading straight off the Dipsy Race Wikipedia. On a rainy November 19th, 1905, the first Dipsy Race was held on a 7.4 mile course with 110 runners. The members of the San Francisco Olympic Club from the Mill Valley Train Depot to the then Dipsy Inn on a sand spit now called Sea Drift in the Bolinas Lagoon between Stinson Beach and Bolinas. Taking place annually, only being canceled a few times in its history, 1932-1933, due to the race not being able to earn enough funds to be financially viable huh. due to the Great Depression, 1942-1945 to due to World War II, and 2020 due to COVID. Yeah. So that is the history of the Dipsy. Yeah. Absolutely insane. It's funny, like prior to 1965, they just had a person who was assigned as the handicapper, and he would assign everyone and what he thought they could run. So like there was, there was a read, there was no age or, or there, at the time it was only men are allowed to do it. So there was no age uh, handicapping. It was just like, oh yeah, you could run a 45. You no, could run a there, there was handicapping. No, he did the handicapping. Oh, okay. He okay. picked, he handpicked okay. them. Then in sixties, they brought in, um, they allowed women to run it. And they also brought in the aid, the official age handicap. That's how it is now. And that's okay. how it has been for like 70 years. I just uh, want to- 60 years. Add, add one more bullet point here from 1905. It says, more than 100 runners registered what the examiner proclaimed the greatest cross-country run that has ever held in this or any other country. <laughs> Oakland high schooler John Hassard arrived at the inn first with Cornelius Connolly, one of the only two scratch runners in second. So an Oakland high schooler won in 1905. God. That's the history that you're part of, dude. It's Holy shit. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Tell the when people. I, when I crossed the finish line and uh, the guy holding the tape he won it in 1968. Right. Yeah. I want to get around to wild. that. I want to get around to that. Before we get to that, maybe talk a little bit about the entry process for the race, because yeah. I entered myself. I still have never run the Dipsy. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I entered, I think it was like 2016 and did the whole bribery thing and then realized I had to go to a wedding that weekend. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for the, there's 1500 spots. There's 700 spots are invitational from the year before, or maybe 750, uh, from the top people from the year before, the top 50% roughly. And then on March 7th or March 6th, they release a PDF now online. You print it out, you put in your entry check, 
you mail it into the Mill Valley PO box. And the first 300 that get picked out of that PO box are in. And then the remainder are, they have some spots, some like volunteer spots, some spots they have a, a bid an auction the day before. But there's about 350 are in a lottery. But your lottery, your chances can be improved if you bribe. <laughs> so if you throw in an extra $100, your chances of getting in will be improved. The great thing about it, that all the money that's raised by the Dipsy goes to um, the Dipsy Scholarship Fund, which sends which gives like several thousand dollars scholarships to high school kids to go to college and mm-hmm. um, high school kids who participate in volunteering with the Dipsy over the, over their childhood years, which is super cool. Um, also your chances of success in the lottery can be increased if you write an effective sob letter. So if you can convince them why they think they should, yeah. like you deserve to get in, what's your story, what's your background and um, what's like, do you have a fascinating story to tell? Yeah. And they actually released an article this year with a few examples of the stories and it's super cool. Yeah. It's super cool. I tried like two years, couldn't get in. And the third year I got in 2019, my housemate at the time was part of the Dolphin Club, which are a swimming group that have done it for decades. And uh, they put me into their application and I got we got in in mass as a group. So that's how I got in the first thing. <laughs> Shout out to the Dolphin Club. Thank you. Shout out to the Dolphin Club. Yeah. <laughs> so... A few months ago here in Marin at Proof Lab, the iconic surf shop in town, you hosted a wonderful event. It was a dedication to the history of the Dipsy. You gathered a lot of the characters from the event's history, past, present, future. Mm-hmm. You told the story in an immaculate way. You showed some cool films. Talk about that evening, because I think it's also representative of you being a uniter mm-hmm. in your core. Yeah. And also maybe introduce us to, to like some of those legends. Yeah. So that was something I've really, like I, we may not mention, we, we may get into it or may not, but I've been involved in a couple of filmmaking uh, process over the years. And I just love storytelling. It's an Irish thing. The Irish we love, we have the gift of the gab, we call it. We just love telling stories. So I love, and we love bringing people together to listen to stories. It's been steeped in our culture for millennia. Um, so that's something I've always loved doing. And then the Dipsy is just something I was so super passionate about. A good friend of ours, Alex Massey, he just released a film about Mar- Markel Taylor yep. um, from the, the Thousand Mile Club in St. Quentin. He does the Dipsy every year. I, I don't know if I saw him this year, actually. I don't think he did it this okay. year. Yeah. Um, so Markel Taylor, uh, he did the story about Markel, a beautiful short film about Markel doing the Dipsy. Um, so we wanted, like Alex had never, filmmakers are often the worst promoters of themselves. <laughs> this, I've said the same thing with Ryan Skur and Dylan Lads of Deuster, the films we've made. Like I've been the person promoting the story because right. like, they make beautiful stories, but then they can't tell people about it. See, Lads. you should be promoting their films and they should be promoting your green card application. Big, big time. <laughs> oh, I, there's a story I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, uh, I was like, Alex, all right, I'm going to organize a, uh, a premiere, a Barry, a premiere of your film, because it's a beautiful film. The Barry needs to see it. If it's buried on Vimeo, they won't see it. They need to see it in person with you there. Then from that, I'm like, oh, but I don't want to bring people out for a five minute film. So I'm like, all right, we'll show a few more films. And then we're like, oh, wait, but wait, we've all these amazing characters about, around the Dipsy. Let's bring them out and do a panel. And we're like, oh, when should we have it? Let's do it the week before the Dipsy entries open. So if we have 200 people showing, we can convince them they all should sign up for the race. So that's what we ended up doing. We had it like six days before the, race, before the entries opened. And uh, we did a speaker panel with a fascinating panel. We had Carolyn Latham, who 
has done the Dipsy, I think this year was her 11th time. She's the first, is like a 10 year old. She got her first black shirt, which is an award for the top 35 where, finishers. Where did she finish? This year, last year she finished like 32nd. This year she was like low 20s. Okay. 21st maybe. Nice. Um, we had Alex Varner, who has been the fastest time, split time of the Dipsy for nine times. So that's... So explain that. So yeah. for the audience, yeah, so the, he, the winner is almost never the fastest runner in the yeah, field. Yeah. We'll get to you um, being an anomaly. So there's your clock. So when you start, like when you, sorry, they start the clock when the scratch runners leave. So that's at 825 when the 20 to 25 year old runners leave. But some people are after starting 25 minutes before. But your clock time is include, like includes kind of your handicap. So that will be like for me, my clock time was for... It's a very confusing thing to yeah, explain. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, to so, make it simple, like Alex Varner has been the fastest. Yeah. So his fastest split time. He was the, the fastest start person. To the finish. He was the fastest person to run it, but that doesn't include all the handicaps right. he had. So, Meaning he didn't cross the finish, finish line, line first, first but yeah. he was the fastest person to cover the seven miles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, going back to the, yeah. the panel and yeah. the legends and... Yeah, so Alex Varner, he was nine times, he was the fastest person to complete the course. Um, didn't include his handicap and whatnot, so he, he didn't end up winning it those times. He finished like 10 seconds behind the first place multiple times. Um, but he's just a fascinating part of the Marine running community. He was someone I really looked up to in the Marine running community. I learned a huge amount from him. I continue to learn a huge amount from him. Same. And, um, and he's just a great speaker and a great storyteller. So he just had so many fun stories to tell. And then we had the Dipsy storyteller, the Dipsy historian, the Dipsy finish line announcer for the last, I think, 40 years, maybe, Barry Spitz, along to speak. So it was a fascinating panel, and we just asked questions upon questions upon questions about the history of this race, about people's experience with the race. And Barry's actually released a, released a book, which he's done multiple copies of it, um, Dipsy, The Greatest Race. I'd recommend getting buy it i'll put a uh, link in the show notes yeah um i did buy one like three months ago and he hasn't given it to me yet (laughs) come on barry i'm gonna have to go knock into doors (laughs) you're like i'm a champion now (laughs) is there part of you who feels that there's was some good karma attached to that event or a conspiracy of the cosmos to give you a little wind at your back (laughs) this year because i don't know to me it feels like a little bit of a spiritual coincidence, right? You hosted this incredible evening. I was riveted. I just stood in the back in this dark skateboarding arena, (laughs) more or less. So there could be karma there that I win it just after I elevated the event. But this happened to me four years ago. I went home to film a documentary on the Wicklow Round. Yeah. And I ended up on that trip home. I set the record that the Wicklow Round, it's a 26, you have to do 26 peaks in less than 24 hours route and like, rough mountain Ireland I set the record at that six days later I lost the record by three minutes the 16 hours 27 minute record Shane Lynch from Louth came in and knocked three minutes off that record so I don't know if there is camera because then I'm waiting what's going to happen in six days (laughs) are they going to disqualify me for the dipsy because I'm just waiting for that to happen because I've had this happen before and it hasn't worked out so I don't think it's associated no I think I would have I think yeah let's separate that okay we'll separate that yeah (laughs) who's going to break my record so Last year, you were second behind Eddie Eddie Owens, Mm -hmm. and he was the fastest runner in the field and also won the race. Mm -hmm. You were the same this year. Eddie Owens had to pull out because of injury. He was also supposed to be on Team USA over in Innsbruck. Two two events. Two events last week. So shout out to Eddie. It's too bad he wasn't able to compete. So 
maybe with that as the backdrop, tell us about this year's race. This year's race. <laughs> because, all right, so I have your Strava up on my computer. I yeah. may share screen here while you're talking too, so the people who watch this on YouTube can get a sense of yeah. like a little bit of the race report. But I mean, you opened up hot out of the gates. And I'll tell you why I opened up hot. I'm talking, so myself and Jeff Stern, who was both starting from the Y Corral, which is the 34 to 42 year old Corral. We have a two minute head start. We're standing at the start line and we're talking about, we're both doing Mount Marathon in a few weeks. And we're saying, oh yeah, getting excited. Oh, I'm scared shitless. Oh yeah, all of that. And then I just hear two, one, go. Like what? And then I just took off. And I'm like, oh, no one's beside me. And I just kept going. So like I ended up putting like 10 seconds on everyone, but in like 200 meters or something absurd like that. No, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but like gapped everyone very quickly. And they're like, what the fuck is Paddy doing? (laughs) And I hit the stairs and I kept going. And I started feeling so, like from the very start, I was feeling really weird, lightheaded. I'm like, am I sick? Am, am I bonking already? What's wrong? Like, I don't feel like I'm moving fast, but I'm passing people and I'm gapping everyone else. Ben Koss, I passed him after the third flight of stairs, about 100 meters after the third flight of stairs, which is less than a mile into the race. And he's like, ah, oh. he said to me, he was like, oh, this is the same place Eddie passed me last year. Did he start a minute ahead of you? He or started a minute ahead of me. Okay. And I was like, huh, weird. But I was like, I was still feeling really weird. I'm like, oh, I think I'm dying. I don't think I'm going to do well in this race. Retrospectively, and actually at the time, I started after two or three miles. I'm like, okay, I'm still having that feeling, but I think I'm in the zone. And I'd never been there before. It was like weird. I had this, such a weird feeling. It was like, was it like focus or? I think it was. (laughs) It was, well, I was also, it was focused, but then I was just thinking about what was happening to me. And I was like, oh, but I'm still moving so well, moving so fast beating all of my splits at the, the Dipsy, at the, on the Dipsy course. I'm like, what the hell? Um, and then, yeah, so you're so, passing. So before you, before you go on, I just have your Strava up in front of me here, and you split 8.16 for the first mile, which has 600 feet of climbing. So your gap pace on Strava is 5.05, <laughs> opening up the Dipsy. Passing three or 400 people on a set of stairs, the width of the table. Right, here, yeah, like it's hard to even describe feet, what that first mile wide. is like to like somebody who's to never run the Dipsy. Ask, on your left, on your left, on your left. No, coming in between, coming in between. Stop pausing, waiting for someone to move. So yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of wild. Um, yeah, and then there was a little, you go and you crest over the first hill and you descend down some technical trail, you come down a bank embankment onto a road. Then you've about a half mile of road. Yeah. I was like doing 4.30s along that. And I might've passed, probably in the first mile and a half, I probably passed 400 people, 500 <laughs> people, which is kind of wild when you think about it. When most of, a lot of it was on single track. Uh, about half on single track, half is on on single stairs um but then hit the first shortcut down into Muir woods which is around mile two and a half and i was like yeah i'm running faster than previous years and then i'm like okay no it's on i'm okay i'm in the zone that's what we're doing all right let's go there was i was concerned about there was a guy starting a minute behind me in the 27 year old fred hoxham who was a northern california all all american at the two miler he ran at UW. i think ran their cross-country team he is like a 28-something 10K runner. And he's been doing workouts on cardiac and like setting records on that. I'm like, all right, this guy's likely to catch me. Uh, but then I hammered up cardiac. I ran the exact same time as last year, actually. But I think I ran so fast at the start, that gave me a good buffer. Um, but kept passing people earlier than I expected. So I got to share the screen again, because you mentioned cardiac and our mutual great friend, Kim Gaylord, was up there. So I was out for... 
a huge run myself that day. So mm-hmm. Kim was keeping us appraised yeah. via text message. And she said that you were like five and a half minutes back mm-hmm. at cardiac. I think you were six, in like six and a half back. Six That's and a half minutes back in cardiac. So you're like 11th place. five miles That's in. That's the only thing I remember running through cardiac. I didn't see a single face. I was just shouting. So you're saying, four miles in there. And yeah. for those who are watching on YouTube, this is where my cursor is here. Six and a half minutes back, yeah. four miles into a seven mile race. And I think you were in like 11th, 11th place, place at that time. Describe the vibe there at cardiac and like- I don't remember it. I didn't see a single person. Okay. I think I saw two faces. Kim said that she gave you- I heard her voice. Yeah, okay. I heard Fernando's voice and I saw Chris Tobern's face. And that's all I saw out of the 200 people that were there. I sorry to all my friends who were cheering for me. I, I knew you were there. I, I think, I don't know, I retrospectively found out you were all there. But I was just in the zone. In the zone. And I was, I was Fernando was like, wow, you were shouting pretty aggressive. Like, where is she? Where is she? Because uh, I knew the chase was on. There's, you only have two and a half miles of downhill to catch people. Yeah. You got to move. You two and move. a half miles yeah. to make up six and a half minutes. So yeah. where did you catch? So then I started. Diana and Chris uh, Lundy? Well, were? the person I passed right, the person that one of my favorite people that did the course is Misha Shaman, Shamankin, yep. our friend. His mom, who is 60, I don't know, 66 years old, maybe. Sorry, or 62, something in her 60s. She's won a black shirt a couple of years. I passed her at, at 10. She ended up getting passed by three teenagers. She ended up being pushed to 36th place. <laughs> three teenagers on the finish line. That was hard. Let's come back to talking about the yeah. black shirts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cardiac, 11 place, six and a half minutes to go. My friends uh, communicated with me when I didn't see them. So I just kept moving. I had like, you have like half a mile of flat rolling and then you're down through the, the most technical shortcut. And then you're onto the Seepravine stairs and then you have about a mile and a half of fire road and, and a short bit of road to the finish. Still a little bit of technical stuff and turns and whatnot. So you can't really roll really hard. Um, passing people and like I was, every person I was passing, they were like, go Patty. And I was like, go you, let's go, let's keep going. And then I passed into third place just after the bottom of, the climb called Insult where you come down off the steep ravine stairs around mile... For those five, who are watching on YouTube, I've half. got my, my cursor here. Five and a half, maybe? Yeah. Five and a half? Uh, five, yeah, five and a half, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So they have like this 30-foot climb, which is really fucker at that, t- at that time. Um, I passed Julia Maxwell there, and she was saying, she was like, when she heard me coming, she was like, oh, fuck, because she had great hopes of winning it. Um, and she was like, oh, fuck. But then she was cheering me on, I was cheering her, passed her, up over, then you go through the moors, which is like, there's some switchbacks, but there's quite a wide fire road. And as I got into around mile five, around mile six, maybe, I take or go around this long switchback, but I look over at the the road I'm going to be running onto, and there's this tiny little climb up, and I see Diane Fitzpatrick, who was leading at the top of cardiac, and I see Chris Lundy. Two-time champion. Two-time champion, 2013, 2014. Chris Lundy, two-time champion, 2017, 2018, 2017, 2018, I think. They were there, and I saw Chris chasing Diana. She was going to pass Diana, and I was like, okay, they're 400 meters away. I'm going to catch them. I hope no one's going to catch me. Because Chris had that same thing in her mind. She's like, I'm catching Diana now. I hope no one's going to catch me. There's a little tiny 20 foot climb there that's really rough at uh, about six and a quarter. And uh, Chris was passing Diana just as she crested that, just as I was passing her. Chris was like, yes, I'm winning. And then oh, she said it was the shortest lead she's ever had in the Dipsy, like a second or two seconds. But it was such a cool moment, the three of, the, of us crossing that crest together. 
because everyone loves like seeing each other succeed as well. It's, uh-huh. it's a great thing, the beautiful thing right. about it. Mm-hmm. Then I passed them like, oh God, I'm winning. You're going to win. <laughs> yeah. No, I wasn't like, I'm going to win. Yeah. I'm like, I have a sizable pro- chance of winning. Everyone keeps asking me, when did you know you had it? I'm like, 100 meters in the finish. Right. I'm like, I could fall like a cramp. Someone could catch me. Alex Varon is back there. Uh, Fred Huxham's back there. Jeff Stern's back there. These dads could all catch me. Matt Seidel. Um, or Chris could come charging. Yeah. Um, but then when I jumped down onto the road, which is about a quarter of a mile from the finish, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to have it. And people were going wild. But when I turned the corner, um, actually Barry Spitz announced like towards the last straightaway, I looked back to Facebook and I think they hadn't realized I'd made the pass. They didn't realize I was in contention for the top three. They were saying the three ladies. And then he came to the corner. He was like, Paddy Oli. He was like, I'm Paddy Oli. He's surprised. He was shocked. Um, and then, yeah, went and, and crossed the line. And won the damn dipsy. You won the damn dipsy. Yeah. When Kim texted me, she texted a chain that we have with her and Harmony and I. And I was out like, you know, in the middle of a yeah. five and a half hour yeah. epic myself. And yeah. I was just like goosebumps. Like, oh my God, Patty won the race. <laughs> and I texted you immediately. I said, dude, we got to do a podcast. <laughs> um, so anyway, I just want to pull something up here to a couple stats. Okay, so... That last mile was like a 450, I think, yeah, as yeah, well, with yeah. a single track, jump over a style. Yeah, let me check that. Into the road. Yeah, you were doing 457 pace that last mile. But the thing that I wanted to mention, going back to Eddie Owens winning last year, again, he was the fastest runner in the race, and yeah. he won the Dipsy. And the stat that I have here is that Owens became the first Dipsy champion in their 20s since 25-year-old Carl Jensen won it in 1966. So that's a fun little stat for Eddie Owens. Again, shout out to him. And then I just wanted to list the top six of this year's race because I think it's emblematic of what makes the Dipsy amazing. So, of course, our esteemed guest here, Patty O'Leary, wins the race. And he ran a 90-second PR. We'll come back to that maybe in a sec. Julia Maxwell, second, 27-year-old woman chris lundy third 52 year old woman diana fitzpatrick fourth 65 year old woman also the president of the board of the western states shout out to diana clara peterson 39 year old woman in fifth and then audrey mclean 17 year old woman in sixth so five women in the top six patty o'leary wins the race and an age stratification between 17 and 65 (laughs) It's so awesome. It's so awesome, isn't it's it? So cool. <laughs> so cool to see that. Yeah. Um, so, so Audrey cool. had she had just we talked I mentioned the Dipsy Scholarship. She actually received the Dipsy Scholarship. She's been involved in the Dipsy for years. Two nights before she'd received her Dipsy Scholarship to go to college. Wow. I think she might be going to Middlebury. MI was the abbreviation of the university. She yeah. might be going to college next year. So that's cool to see the cyclical nature of, of the event. So we should bring Zach in here soon, but you know, you've done a lot. Like you were on the Irish national lacrosse team. You've done a lot of incredible races. Mm-hmm. Where does this stack up in terms of lifetime achievements mm-hmm. for you? It's even participating in the, the Dipsy alone is so, so gracious, so spectacular to do it. Honestly, I think my 20, this is huge. The 2019 running the Dipsy from the penalty section and being the first runner there and passing thousand people. That's close to there. That was a super enjoyable experience too. And I was like, Oh, that is what inspired my love for the Dipsy. But now to finally win it, it's, Oh, it's absurd. 
I think there's three things in my life. I think finishing UTMB after my ridiculous, ridiculous epic, uh, the Dipsy, finally getting, getting to win this. Finally, I'd say uh, I've won it within four years. A lot of people have, have like have been doing so well at this. I was good fortunate I was able to win it, win it so quick. And then uh, playing, getting to a European lacrosse final, captaining the first lacrosse team. And actually a fourth is getting to play against the Iroquois Nationals in the World Box Lacrosse Championships, yeah. the founders of of lacrosse the sport and the native american team it's um that that's actually that's still not again to play against them is still my number one sporting really moment again to play against the iroquois that's we should talk about that real quick because the two of us have a deep appreciation yeah. for the game of lacrosse yeah and the iroquois national team as you alluded to they refer to it as the creator's game and there's sort of like a spiritual yeah. nature a, a spiritual character that they bring to the field yeah. humility sportsmanship work ethic respect for nature respect and it's a beautiful thing and aside from the u.s and canada the iroquois nationals who compete under their own flag are the third best team in the world yeah. and the two best players in the world are brothers cousins yeah brothers yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Thompson brothers, yeah. unbelievable. It's unreal. Yeah, the uh, the Iroquois Nationals. They're now called the Hedonisee Nationals. They they renamed because Iroquois was a name that was assigned by the colonials. Mm. So now they're going, going by the traditional name. They had. I, I apologize, I can't pronounce it correctly because wow. it's got a hell of a lot of more initials or more vowels than an Irish name, which is pretty hard. Hedonosi. Uh, and they compete and they actually hosted the. the I retired from lacrosse in 2014. Because uh, I was one to focus on running, and in 2015, they hosted in upstate New York on the reservoir, uh, the reservation. Yeah. They hosted the World Indoor Games, and that one of my biggest regrets in sport was not going playing in that. Wow. When the sport came home, and uh, super cool. Yeah, that was a sport where I evolved playing that sport and learning the respect from that game was where I evolved as a sportsman. I think as an adult as well. Yeah. I think I learned a huge amount from it. And I think often in the U.S. people don't realize that it's America's indigenous game. Yeah. It's North America's indigenous game. Internationally, because we get to see them, we all like elevate the Iroquois Nationals, the Hedonisi Nationals are like the players we look up to. We're like, wow, they're the best players in the yeah. world. Often that might be overlooked by the general population of America because they think, oh, it's a French sport. It's lacrosse, the closure. The French colonists named it lacrosse because they saw it looked the stick looked the like stick. a bishop's closure. Yeah. Or a bishop's cross. Um I'm going to go back to play that. We're going to go back to play that. So like, as I'm getting older, I know I'm going to have... Bring your, bring your stick up to Tahoe. I, That's I, my tradition. I know I have many years of Dipsy ahead of me, but I know I'm going to get slower. Yeah. At the World Games and at many tournaments, they have Masters Lacrosse Games, which Mike Wardian has competed in, I think, which is absurd. Uh, over 35 is Masters, over 45 is Grand Masters, then over 55, they have a Super Grand Masters tournament. We're entering the Ultra Runners Lacrosse team into that. Got Dylan Bowman on midfield. Yeah. Got Mike Warding on attack. Cody Reed used to play high school. He could play attack. Claire Gallagher was a goalie, I think, in high school. She'll play. I'll play. Uh, Matt Mitchell here in San Francisco. And Eric Soli, uh, Olivia Amber's partner. They both played high school. Uh, there's more out there. We're going to entertain. We're going to compete gonna in the Vale shootout, which is one at elevation. And we're going to run rings around everyone. When they hit us, we're going to break in half. <laughs> but if they can't catch us, they can't hit us. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Well, enough lacrosse talk. Yeah. Before we bring Zach in, maybe quickly, just how does this victory impact next year's Dipsy? Because I think this would be fun for the audience yeah. to understand the penalty attached to it. Yeah. So it started in the eighties because uh, there was one runner who had won it so many times. They started doing a penalty um, for winners. So they introduced a, uh, a, initially it was like three year, three minute penalty for the first year after two minutes, the second year, one minute, the third year after you won. Now to have it for the three years after you win, even minute penalty. So you're bumped back one grade. So next year, the next three years, I'm going to start the race with the 25 to 30 year olds. And Eddie Owens, for example, next year, he's still in that bracket, but he will carry his minute penalty. So this year he would have been starting from scratch. Okay. Okay. Starting with the 20 to 25 year olds. How much did you win me. by? I won by 45 seconds. Okay. Eddie would have had to run a 30 second beyond record. So you wouldn't me. have won this I year with, have, with I that. I would have won unless he beat, unless he would have ran okay. a, two, a 90 second PR probably. So Julia Maxwell would not have beaten you? Well, sorry, what do you mean? This year. If you if won I by the, 45 if seconds. If I had the minute penalty, right. I would not win it. No. Right. Okay. Next year, I'd, I will not, win, so the, it's good. I will not yeah. win the race next year. If I finish top five, that'd be huge. So in case it's not obvious. Oh, no, I could get faster. <laughs> That's Benjamin true. Button. There you go. Getting faster as I go. second PR this year. Yeah, next year. <laughs> when I, right, so when I started running road marathons, my first one was 245. My second was 237. My third was 230. And my fourth was like 220. I was like getting that progression. It was getting bigger every year. When I did the TNF 50 for the first time, I went 13th, 9th. Fifth. And then the year was cancelled. It was the best shape of my life. It was the year I was going to win it. And I told I run fire I was going to win it next year and they called me out on it. Uh, <laughs> maybe that'll happen with the Dipsy. Uh, yeah, maybe. 45? I mean, you're well on your way to being one of those legends, you yeah. know, when we are 55 fielding a lacrosse, a super masters lacrosse I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> I'm a short distance runner in an ultra runner's mindset. Yeah, yeah. Like I should be focusing on short distance stuff because I think it's probably what I'm best at. Yeah. But I love ultras. Well, I mean, that's the I'm variety is the spice all. of life, right? Yeah. So. All right. Well, Patty, dude, you're the best, man. Congratulations. You so deserve it. And I'm so glad you're here to share the story with us. Really, I'm really awesome. delighted to, uh, <laughs> to kind of be part of this conversation yeah. and, uh, and grateful for all you're doing for the community, but just uplifting these stories and like, putting our sport like in the, in the greater view of the, of the world. Um, yeah, really appreciate it. But one thing that like with what you're doing, what we're all doing is we're bringing the community, like the beautiful thing about this sport is that everyone who's participating, like often sports, you have the elites and then you have everyone else ultra running and I hope it can mountain running, hope it continues that everyone is in it together. Right. People of all different totally. speeds, all yeah. different ages, golden era in two weeks, the biggest crowd He's not going to show up for the winner at 15 hours, probably 16 this year. They all think they're going to run fast, but there's 30 miles of snow, so they probably won't. The biggest crowd is going to show up for the golden hour, hour yeah. 30, and I love that about this sport. Amen. Amen. This episode is brought to you by HVMN and their Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketones are important macronutrients with clinically studied benefits for increasing energy and focus throughout the day. Ketone IQ is brain fuel, naturally increasing your blood ketone levels in just a simple, handy two ounce shot. The perfect thing to throw down the hatch whenever you need an extra boost, either in your training or in your daily life. My wife Harmony and I have become really enamored with this product, honestly, between running our business business, 
my increasing training load and being parents, we've been operating at full capacity for a long time. I had specifically become overly reliant on caffeine throughout the day until I started taking this product. And I have to say it has really helped me to feel more focused and energized. And especially in my training, I have been having a ketone IQ shot in the mornings before all my long runs. And it really does help me feel steady energy for hours on end, even when the baby has kept me up at night. This stuff has evidently become really popular in cycling and is just now being discovered by runners. So go check it out. You won't be disappointed. Visit hvmn.com. Look up the ketone IQ. Use code FREETRAIL20 for 20% off. hvmn.com. Use code FREETRAIL20. In that spirit, Patty, and in the spirit of you being a uniter, please introduce us to Zach. I've turned his microphone on. I handed him the mic. He's here in Northern California, your fellow Irishman. You you persuaded him to come over. So maybe introduce us to Zach. And then so as, we'll I, as I introduce Zach, just I want to apologize that when I talk to an Irishman, my accent gets a lot stronger. And the Irishman <laughs> I'm talking to has quite a strong accent and his accent always gets stronger when he talks to an Irishman. So Dylan's going to take care of the subtitling for the video for people listening. Apologies. So uh, we've got Zach Hanna, Zach Hanna here, um, County Down's finest up in Northern Ireland. He's been a, a Ireland's kind of shining light the last 10 years in mountain running. He uh, just back in Thailand, he just came fifth in the VK at the World Championships. Um, he's finished in the top in the podium at the World Mountain Running Association World Cup for two years. Um, yeah, he's the best mountain runner we have in the country and he's here to race in a here for the first time in America to take on the Broken Arrow VK 26K or 23K this weekend. Yeah, it's uh, great to be here in America. Uh, first time visiting and thanks, Patty, for that glowing introduction. I'm all a bit red here now because of that. I didn't um, say the introduction. You were meant to say, what about you, hi? <laughs> Don't want to put the listeners off. That's a good point. That's yeah, because... But like the five people in Northern Ireland you have would understand. So, so Zach, see. it's funny, dude, because I'm. This is the first time we've met, and again, we're sitting at my kitchen table. But I've heard your name like so many times recently, and uh, it feels like you're sort of like really on the precipice of like sort of entering the upper echelon of the sport. And I think you represent like kind of this new generation, and you're focused more on the shorter distance stuff. So maybe just quickly, and we're going to do a panel at Broken Arrow in a few days. So we'll do a deeper dive with Zach there and maybe we'll spend a little bit more time on the Dipsy with Patty. But Zach, maybe just quickly, just introduce yourself to the audience and tell us about your history with sport and with running. Yeah, well, Patty, um, but it, where I started off there, I come from County Down, which is in Ireland, Northern Ireland, whichever way you want to put it. Um, I am 27 years old and I would say my way into the sport wasn't too dissimilar to Paddy's. He came from a farming background. I wouldn't say I was a, a pure farming background. I came from uh, a horse riding background and a cycling background. Grew up in rural Northern Ireland and just grew up in the outdoors. Same with Paddy. Didn't, like, didn't have a PlayStation. Didn't want one essentially. And grew up in the great outdoors and my, my whole life just has revolved around it and it just so happens that I've just came to a sport that's been able me to see the world and meet so many great people and see so many unreal places and that's really it uh, it's been it's been great 
since I've started the sport and I just absolutely love it. Yeah. So you were fifth at the vertical in the world championships in Thailand. I think you were in the twenties this year in Innsbruck, maybe yeah. paint the contrast between those two. Cause I looked at your Instagram and you said something about how you were less than satisfied with this year's performance, but last year really kind of put you on the map internationally. So maybe tell us about those two experiences. Yeah, well, I think off the back of Thailand, like I'm a serious competitive person. I do put a lot of pressure on myself to perform at my best every time I race. And I think going into Innsbruck, I didn't let didn't let anyone know, but in my head, I was putting myself under quite a lot of pressure. And I went out to Innsbruck a week before the race to allow me to recce the course and just take, you know, instead of having to arrive two days before with travel and whatnot, even though I did go out a week before during the traveling, I picked up a virus, woke up the next morning, head cold, you know, blocked nose, coughing, and went out for a jog, felt absolutely rubbish. That's whenever kind of the nerves set in, you know, it's going to take a lot of work to get rid of this. Yeah. And come Sunday, thought I had got rid of it, but it was clearly still in my system. Come race day, legs were dead yeah. at the start. And the first kilometer, which normally on the, sh the faster stuff I can cope well with, but it was just a slog. And yeah, there's people passing me who normally, no, 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 no disrespect to them, shouldn't be passing me. And yeah, crossing the line in 27th was a huge disappointment. But as I say, the community that we have in this sport, especially within the Irish team that last week, was just unbelievable. And within, I'd say, an hour finishing that race, I put it behind me and... The rest of it was just on to support the, the rest of the team in the 42k, the 80k and the up and down races. So, yeah, it's just, you, you learn from your, your worst losses. So hopefully this will be the last one for a while. Yeah, hopefully that virus is out of your system. Can you guys talk a little bit about Irish pride, Irish sporting? Well, Dylan, that question, Irish pride is a, a bread manufacturer in Ireland. Uh, that's actually the brand. So they, really? You see Irish Pride trucks driving around. That's driving true. Irish Pride. So it's average quality sliced white bread. <laughs> but I mean, like... You, you know don't elaborate I mean. on that question? <laughs> I'm more of a sourdough man myself. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm an MHBB guy. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, because it... I don't know. Obviously, like, you, you said, like, in Ireland, it seems like there's, like, the culture of like storytelling and bringing people together. And I feel like, how do you exemplify that? Zach, we're just meeting for the first time, but I know you've competed for, for Ireland and both lacrosse and, and trail running. And I know that's brought you a lot of pride and mm -hmm. anything you guys want to share about yeah. just like coming from like a small we're Northern four, European country. Five million people. Yeah. I think we just hit 5 million for the first time since the, since the famine. Um, we're a tiny country and we're competing at the best level in many sports. Like we're world number one in rugby at the moment, going into a World Cup. Um, with many new sports like hockey, running, track and field. We just had uh, Rashidat, just um, one of our runners. Uh, we have a 400 meter runner, she's 20 years old. She just won the NCAA title this weekend. Oh, she's Irish. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. She has the strongest Dublin accent. You think our accent, you think Zach's accent as well? Where does she go to Way school? Like Arkansas or something? Uh, she's you, uh, Texas. 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 Yeah. Texas. And she has the strongest Dublin accent still. And I hope if she stays in America, I hope she doesn't lose it. Because I hope I don't lose mine. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, we just were a small country and we like punching above our weight. Yeah. Whether that be in sport, whether that be in literature, whether that be in world politics, whether it be in anything, we acting, everything. Where uh, we like punching above our weight. We like, I don't know. I think we had, we underwent so many centuries of hardship. Um, now when we got like freedom, we just wanted to, uh, we wanted to just spread ourselves all over the world and like, I don't know. It builds character, doesn't it? Hardship so. builds character. I think character. hardship brings We're on the west coast of, of Europe and a lot of storms, the weather isn't great. Uh, we've a lot of like, it's easy to get depressed where we live, but we just, uh, I think we, um, I don't know, what do you think, Zach? Yeah. We just like elevate, we just like, I don't know. I think the beauty, the beauty of like Ireland itself is that you don't have to go too far to find someone who knows someone else that you know. Everyone seems to know each other. And especially where I live, I find it's just incredible. Like, you just go so far, mm-hmm. but yet you're never too far away from an Irish person. Yeah. Funny story, last week in, in, in Innsbruck, the Irish team had arrived last Monday night. So we all went for a team dinner in Neustift and we had packed out the restaurant and I was actually in the next part of the restaurant talking to Carly and Andy Wacker. So that was fine. I talked to them for maybe 10 minutes and then my dinner arrived. So I went and sat down with ate my dinner. Next thing, I had a tap on the shoulder and this woman, elderly woman, looked said to me, excuse me, son, are you, um, are you a Belfast boy? And I, she had the same accent as me. And I said, uh, not quite Belfast, but where about you from? She's from County Fermanagh, which is just one of the border counties. And that was in the middle of the Neustadt Valley in Austria. And I'm talking to someone who is maybe an hour's drive from me. Wow. Such a small world. And especially the fact that she's Irish and she's on holiday with her husband. So you never have too far to go to find someone Irish. And even in Innsbruck, the support the Irish had this year was just incredible. And the team itself, you've come from all over Ireland. Everyone just gets on so well. I love it. Like when you put on the, the Irish fest... It is like a party you can even vouch here. It's just yeah. the same way if you go to represent any country, yeah. US, etc. Yeah. There's just a huge pride because you know that you're representing your country. You have people back home supporting you yeah. and everyone on the team supporting you. Everyone backs each other. And I think that's what owes to our success at whatever we do yeah. in sport, politics, yeah. literature, whatever it is. And yeah, it's just it's just a great thing. And I just... Both of us absolutely love it. Yeah. One thing I was I was really regret I had to choose between Fuji and and put my name in the hat for worlds and wanted to get the hundred other ways. So I chose Fuji and couldn't have done both of them. I wouldn't have been smart. And um, but it was really cool to see this year. How many had we? Forty two. It's the biggest Irish team I've ever been involved in yeah. since um, they brought all the disciplines together. Mm-hmm. But even and before it, there wouldn't be yeah. a team of that scale. No, 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 no. So no. it really goes to show, like the Irish Mountain Running Association is like a. It's a volunteers-led organization back mm-hmm. in Ireland that put on 100 plus, 150 races across the country every year, all led by volunteer, volunteer race directors, volunteer participants. And they do races of from five kilometers to 100 milers all across the country, led by like the team manager, one person we'd have to shout out, Robbie Williams, who's the head of Imra Munster, Schmidt Running Association Munster, and was um, the high performance director for, uh, for Imra. Like one of the most brilliant humans of we've met, we've met and got to work with. Yep. It was so cool to see it. But one thing that I've really appreciated about is Zach, in there, he's like the last year or two, he's kind of stepped into a bit of a leadership role and actually feeding back and doing himself and Sarah McCormack, who's another Irish woman uh, who participated in the up and down in the VK, 
who has topped the WMRA series as well. They held, along with Robbie, they held a training camp for juniors back in Ireland. Um, for juniors back in Ireland last year, which is super cool. We're a small country. We, we're trying to get more youth involved. There's, it's, a, it's work in progress, but it's been really cool to see. Yeah. We had a junior team at the Worlds. Uh, it's super cool, but it all goes to volunteers who are working on it at home and people coming back to support it. Ah, wonderful. So let's kind of wind down here, but because we'll keep this conversation going when we do the panel, but before we go, Zach, I think maybe you could contribute to something we started talking to Patty about earlier about the opportunity to race shorter distances now. And I think, you know, in Europe, it's always been more important or shorter distance races have always carried more significance. But here in the U.S., it's always trended towards the ultra mountain races versus, you know, your specialty, which is kind of VK and sky race model. And I think this is one of the most exciting things about the sport. You guys are both going to be doing the VK and the 23K at Broken Arrow. So anything you want to say about that in particular, Zach, about like you being kind of part of this new guard and focusing on vertical and, and shorter distance racing versus, you know, say the mountain hundred mile events. And then maybe also anything you guys want to add about Broken Arrow in particular, Patty, I know you've been part of the race for a long time. So Zach, maybe we'll start with you and we'll close out with Patty. Yeah, well, I think um, since I've started running, I didn't start running until uh, what was twenty end of twenty twenty. I started running, and I was straight into running when I first got picked to represent Ireland. It was a ten k uphill in the World Championships of Bulgaria, and since then I didn't really know the ultra scene till then. I didn't. Yeah. To be honest, back then I didn't even know there was a European scene. Yeah, I just knew there was World Championships. Didn't know that there was all these races going on. So it's only over the last sort of four or five years when I've started to really take the sport seriously, I've seen a lot more of what you can do. And it just so happens that the VK and the uphill race is what I'm good at. And at the minute, I've no intention of really you know, moving up in distance until I see the time where maybe it, it's tempting me. As I say, Broken Arrow this Sunday is going to be my longest race yet distance-wise. And like when I'm seeing people running a hundred milers and all, it's like, and I'm nervous about running a 23k or 26k this Sunday, but it's all irrelevant. Everyone has their own specialties. And I think one thing I noticed that this year at the World Championships was we were on a team with VK runners, up and down runners, 42k runners and 80k runners. I think from that aspect, it's given me a newfound appreciation for how different, but also how similar the sport is. Yeah. Because everyone on that team is there for the common goal of achieving their absolute best result. It doesn't have to be a World Championships. Like everyone who's racing and Broken Arrow this weekend is going there for one thing themselves. They're going to see how, how good they can run. And everyone's going to be cheering each other on. And for example, like I love it whenever I've been, apparently I'm, I'm now a veteran of the Irish team, as some people have called me, but I love seeing new people come into the sport to whether doesn't matter what distance they're at first Irish cap or whether it's just their first race see the pride on their face and the smile mm -hmm. is absolutely brilliant mm -hmm. and especially totally. this year I found that there's a couple of runners in the 80k have never run for Ireland before have never run outside of Ireland mm -hmm. and they see the difference they see the community that we have in Europe because I the opening ceremony you see everyone who normally you don't see in their country's colours you see in their sponsors colours and just 
everyone gets on so well with each other and been able to hopefully be a voice for those that maybe think the shorter distances there is no opportunities that's a lie there's opportunities in every single branch of our sport and it just takes you need to go out and explore for yourself where your niche is whether you're suited to the long stuff or the short stuff but at the minute the short stuff's mine and who knows someday i might run a 42k but a 100 meter might be a stretch but never you never say never you know never say never, never, say never. it's the one thing i've learned in this sport it's given me so much seen so many things if it wasn't for running i probably would never come to america yeah. i would probably never went to thailand yeah so opportunities are there go and explore them don't turn down any opportunity that ever is presented to you that's one thing i have learned and yeah just do it with a smile and just enjoy it that was beautiful it was really really nice way to end us anything you want to add there patty yeah, like I at times I look at over at Europe and look at like the appreciation, the elevation of the short distance races and I keep seeing it almost happening in the US and I really hope it's actually going to happen. I think a lot of the efforts like the live coverage of VK and 23K it's been elevated for at the elite level where like this is races people can be really competitive at and they can be really fun to watch and they're easier to film and watch than a longer ultra. But also one thing that the shorter races, it increases access to the sport. Doing a 5k race or doing a 10k race is a much more achievable thing for someone who hasn't ran before. That's one thing we do well in Ireland. We have a yeah. lot of 5 and 10k trail races. So we could have, there's a Wednesday night trail league in, in, in Wicklow Mountains, and there's one up in the north in the Moor Mountains as well. He was just telling me today they have 300 people show up to a Thursday night race uh, in the Moor Mountains, which is huge. Yep. One thing we had that a little bit, and that's how November Project got into trail running, was through the old Endurance Challenge yeah. series yeah. with the North Face. That was like that marathon relay, which is four by 10, 10K, that got so many people into the sport. Mm -hmm. And I think we need more opportunities for that. We need more elevation of these shorter distances. Because if people see, like there is races out there to do, but if people see elites doing them, they're going to be even more attracted yeah. towards doing it. And I think there's such a potential to elevate the sport at the elite end, but also the elites can elevate it for the general people to attract them to the sport. Yeah, so, so great. And Broken Arrow, you've done it, five years 10 different races it's one of the greatest community events i've ever participated in it's one of the great events it's in the world yeah un, un, unbelievable and i love everything they do about it everything from like they're elevating artists to yeah. make the trophies like eleanor they're like at the forefront of doing live coverage yeah. uh, it's such a wild course it's going to be 90 percent snow which is what, <laughs> what on earth um it's got the european vibes starting and finishing in like a mountain town uh, it's stunning views Fast racing, fierce racing, tough racing. People of all different ages. There's a kids race where they're doing 400 meters, 500 meters. Um, everything about it. Um, Brendan Madigan, Ethan, um, those lads. Yeah, they're Jeff Coin. They're they're doing great work. Yeah, they absolutely are. Well, gentlemen, wait. this has been so fun. This is yeah. so awesome. It's so great to have you in the house, Zach. I love what you said about just like. No matter what distance you run, it is the same sport, right? Like you being a 27-year-old vertical-focused young gun and me being an aging, like, 100-mile specialist. You know, we carry the and same me. values. We love the same sport. You know, it's a beautiful fucking thing. And appreciate you guys for articulating that. And I appreciate you guys for coming over. And let's keep the conversation going at the Elite Men's Panel on, uh, I guess it's Saturday. We get yeah. to do this again. Looking forward to it. Have you got a translator lined up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get a, we'll get a translator lined yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, cheers. Thanks for coming over. Cheers, Patty, lads. congrats on Dipsy, man. Thank you. You're Thank a legend. You. Thank you. Thank you.
Scotty, the legend. Thanks so much to him for coming on the show and bringing Zach along with him. Great to have a couple Irish lads in the crib and on the program. Check out the show notes uh, to find more about Patty. I put a link to his Instagram account, so make sure you go give him a follow. I also posted his Strava activity from the Dipsy, so you can get a better feel for the geography and the topography of this incredible event. I posted his fiance Eleanor's Instagram account, who we talked about in relationship to her artwork and what she's doing for Broken Arrow and a lot more. So make sure you visit the show notes. If you enjoy Free Trail and appreciate what we do, we certainly appreciate you too. We are, of course, a bootstrapped independent media business with an amazing community who support what we do and make everything that we do possible. So please consider joining Free Trail Pro. Get all the perks associated with that membership and the satisfaction in knowing that your investment in us is an investment in our ability to keep doing what we do. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the year. And you can find a link to that in the show notes too. Thanks so much to our sponsors. Of course, Speedland, runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off those great nutrition products. HVMN, go check out this ketone product, the Ketone IQ, HVMN. Dot com use code free trail 20 again tune in this weekend go get your fantasy picks in for your chance to win a share of the five thousand dollars worth of products that we have on offer link in the show notes thanks so much for being here we'll see you on the live stream love you mucho talk soon bye-bye